Warning, this podcast contains information. Information is an addictive chemical. Being a new hunter can be an extremely daunting, frustrating endeavor. Every turn you take leads to more questions and seemingly less answers. If only there were a podcast that could answer those questions, kill those frustrations, and help you become more deadly in the woods. Well, this ain't that podcast. What's going on, guys? Welcome to New Hunter Podcast. My name's Vince. I'm going to be your host, and I'm a new hunter, new adult onset hunter who is on a mission to learn everything that I can about hunting. And as I'm learning new things, I just want to share that info with you guys so that we can become more deadly in the woods together as a team. So thanks, guys, for listening to the show. I wanted to take a second to to just tell you guys thank you. Um, as we've kind of ramped back up, we've been putting out more shows you guys are out there still listening, still supporting, and I do want to take a second to, to sincerely tell you guys thank you. I know that there are a million other podcasts that you guys could be listening to, and the fact that you choose to listen to this one, that really does mean a lot to me. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. Guys, this week we've got Nick Dawa from Unbound Archeries. You've heard me talk about Unbound Archery. They were a partner with us on the Arrow a Day Challenge for January. So I wanted to have him on to talk more about um, specifically bloodline fiber, which is what he uses to make his strings. Um, his strings are just great. I love mine. You guys have probably seen it on Instagram, but other than it looking just drop dead gorgeous on the bow, the quality of it's awesome as well. I tell you guys that in the friends of the show, um, the thing is it's just been great. So I want to learn more about that process. We're also going to talk on drones in deer hunting where, what's the place for those? Um, what are some situations where, they're not warranted. What are some situations such as deer recovery uh, where we do want to use something like that? So we're going to kind of go over the ins and outs of that. Um, we do talk a little bit about podcast editing as well as uh, 3D archery events like Total Archery Challenge or Mountain Archery Fest or whichever ones, the Reinhardt 100. We kind of talk about what we like about that and why you guys should be doing those events. So we will not waste any more time. Let's get into the interview with Nick from Unbound Archery. Guys, help me welcome to the show Nick Dawa. Nick, how are you doing today, dude? Good, Vince. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I basically, guys, I'm. I don't know. I might. I might just leave the little technical difficulties in the in the beginning. There, we're having Wi-Fi issues. Uh, so if I sound like an idiot. Let's blame it on Wi-Fi this time instead of me just being an idiot. Can we all agree on that? <laughs> it could be my Wi-Fi, too. I live out in the middle of nowhere. so. Oh, well, there's the problem. It's it's you country <laughs> kids, you country guys, and your Wi-Fi issues. But anyway, how's yeah, your... Yeah, how's your... Internet. There you go. How's your uh, weekend treating you so far? So far, it's been pretty good. It's not as busy as it normally is this time of year, but just getting caught up on strings and stuff like that. But overall, it's been pretty relaxing. What about yours? I don't even know, man. It's been, so I started 75 hard, what, five, six days ago with uh, James Simpson. So James is a guy I met at Total Archery Challenge last year. 
uh, we've kind of kept in touch and I saw him post something the other day of like, he was going to start it and he's like, who's with me. And like, I was like, there's my chance. Cause usually I've tried 75 hard before by myself and, uh, it's, it's really hard. I mean, it's right in the name, but you look at the initial like requirements, like take a picture every day, uh, drink a gallon of water, stick to a diet, don't drink alcohol. And then the hard part for me, because I have two young kids and a full-time job and all that stuff, the hard part is you've Mm -hmm. got to work out twice a day, 45 minutes a piece. And then to throw, just, just sprinkle a little extra like BS onto it. You've also got to do one of those workouts outside. And I don't know if anybody knows what Iowa is right now, which actually it's like 40. So it feels like it's summertime, but Trying to get all of that stuff, I usually get, oh, you've got to read 10 pages too a day. So trying to get everything done, most of it's pretty easy. The diet, the alcohol, the reading, the water, that's not my hard part. My hard part's the workout. And so it's been an unnecessarily stressful weekend. Like you would think a weekend, you'd be like, oh, I'll bang it all out. It'll be fine. But it's like the weekend is actually worse than the the weekdays I found. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my weekend. It's me just yeah, stressing about intriguing. how I'm going to get it done. Is that what I've been seeing in your story with a calendar? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I was curious what that was. So it's, it's those, it's really simple things to do. But the thing about it is if you miss one, you have to start all the way back over. So like, let's say you're oh, at wow. day 74, you're about to get it all done and finished. If you forget to take your progress picture in the morning, you have to start over. It's done. Wow. And a it's lot of one of those. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there who can kind of cheat it and just say they did it. But if you're really trying to like do it for real, <clears throat> you have that like internal gauge of like, mm-hmm. You know, one of my workouts yesterday, my kid was like, hey, let's go on a family walk. And we get like 10 minutes into it. And I'm like, I can't count this. And because it's like, stop, go, stop, go. And then finally, my two-year-old was like, didn't want to walk anymore. Or he was trying to run into the street. So it was like, I just carried him the rest of the way. So then I was like, (laughs) okay, I'm counting this one. Because I'm carrying around a 40-pound. That sounds about right. Awkward thing for, you know, 40 minutes. So I felt like that counted, but well, Mm -hmm. Hey, before I, before we get going into it, let's say a quick prayer. And then, uh, I want to get into understanding more about your strings. Um, they're a little bit different than your normal string. And I would like to know why and why they're so much better. And they are, cause I've, I've shot it for quite a while now and there is quite a bit of difference. So we'll say a quick prayer and then we'll hop into the show. Okay. All right, Lord Jesus, um, I thank you again for uh, just another day on earth, another opportunity to record a podcast with an awesome dude, um, getting to know him better, uh, getting to learn more about what he does. Um, I, I just thank you for all that. I thank you for just hunting and archery and all the amazing things that you've inspired either people to create or your creation itself. Um, just Everything that is on this earth, good, comes from you. So I thank you for those things. Um, I want to thank you for Nick and his time. 
Um, I want to thank you that he's willing to come on here and hang out with me for an hour and, and record this show. And I also want to pray for everybody listening. Um, a lot of times I get into a zone and we pray for each other on the show. Um, but I also want to pray for all the listeners. Um, as I've said before, if, if this is anybody's first show, um, the, the number one goal of this show is not to reach new hunters. It's for God to reach new souls, um, for God to bring his people in. That's the first goal, um, just to be a vessel for, for the Lord to use. So use it how you see fit, Lord. Um, and please be with us the rest of this conversation. Um, I know you already are and you will be. And we uh, also thank you, of course, for Jesus and for him taking our place on the cross, dying the death we deserve. Um, and I just want to thank you for that. So again, thank you for Jesus. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sometimes I get weird on camera. I start praying on camera and then I don't know. You know, in my own mind, I can just end a prayer however weird. It's like trying to it's like trying to bring it home and I'm like, oh no, how do I end this show on a live thing <laughs> or end this prayer? <laughs> I think God understands me. He knows I'm he knows I'm mm-hmm. I'm struggling. All right, so Nick, I want to learn more about Unbound Archery. So, guys, Nick okay. is the the owner of Unbound Archery. Uh, you make some of the best bow strings, in my opinion, um, and I not only I think they're awesome. A because of the bloodline fiber, and I want you to get into explaining more about that. But also because the string you made me matches these crazy arrows I got back there perfectly, and. I may be biased, but I'm pretty sure I have the coolest string anyone's ever seen. But I've gotten a lot of comments that, on that string. Go ahead, uh, tell us a little more about Bloodline Fiber. Um, wh- what exactly is it? Uh, what? Why is it different from just your normal string that comes on your bow? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah, what's special about it? So Bloodline is—it's a relatively new material. You know, it's only been out for like eight years or so. But instead of having wax like your BCY fibers do. It has a it has a chemical coating that replaces the wax. And that chemical coating, it doesn't attract the dirt and the dust like wax would, and it beads water. It's really uh, it's UV resistant. It holds up really well in temperature swings and stuff like that. Um when I first started building, I wanted to try something different. I wanted to try something new. Um I seen I read up on the different string materials. I thought Bloodline would be a good fit. So right off the bat, Bloodline is what I I kind of went out the gate building with, and I'm glad I did because it's been really good, and we've had a lot of really good feedback with it. What When when you talk bowstring, so for guys who maybe they're new to the game or they're new to archery, um, what happens to – I mean, I'm, I'm sure it happens to all strings over time, but what happens to strings as time goes on, as they're shot, um, in terms of stretching, uh, you get peep twists, things like that. Mm-hmm. What is what's actually happening with especially a lower quality string? Because I know the string that on my old uh, what was it, a mission switch, the string that came mm-hmm. on that, I notice a big difference in that, like pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But what kind of things happen to a string over the course yeah, of time? You'd be- You'd be surprised how many variables go into what makes a good string, you know, from the material to the build process to how long you stretch to how much tension there is when you're serving. 
So for people that are having issues, it could be a, a number of things. It could be the quality of the, the fiber. It could be the quality of the serving. It could be the process itself. So there's so many different variables that go into that. Uh, one of the questions I get asked pretty commonly is how, how long is your string going to last? And that question, it, it's it's hard to answer because the way I explain it to people, it's like the tires on your car. You know, how long are they going to last? Well, are these tires going on a race car? Are they going on a Prius? Do you drive every mm-hmm. day? So same thing with a bow. Do you shoot every day? Do you store your bow out in your garage or in your house? Do you hunt? Are you just indoor? Like how much, what's your fiber exposed to? Even things as simple as your your facial hair could be abrasive to the string, how you carry your bow. So there's just so many variables on uh, what can make a string last longer than another string. And so what... I guess before we got into all that, I should ask you what, how did you initially get into building strings in the beginning? Cause it's a lot of guys like to yep. tinker with their bow. They like to build arrows. They like to do whatever that might be. To me, string building is quite a bit more intimidating than building mm-hmm. your own set of arrows. Um, so what, what interested you about that, that you decided to get into that process? Yeah. So that goes back quite a ways, you know, probably 10 years ago or so I lived down in Southwest Kansas and there was like, there wasn't a shop around me. I had to drive over an hour to get to a shop. And so like most guys, I, and I'm, I like to learn a lot of things anyway. I like, I'm kind of hands-on and I, I like to learn how things are, are done. And I wanted to be able to work on my own stuff. So I bought a press and that's the first thing I wanted to do was press a bow and learn how to, change a string out, how to tune a bow, how to time a bow. And from there, it was like a snowball effect because then I wanted to do my own arrows. And then um, I actually went to George Chapman Archery School in New York. Uh, Steve Van he's been teaching that class for a long time. And I really started learning, you know, the nuts and bolts of archery. And then it was just the next thing. I got good at tuning. I got good at building arrows. So what's the next thing I could do? Um, I took up making my own bows. So I did some Boyer classes. I did some online. Um, I went to Arkansas in person um, and did a, uh, I think it's called Pine Hollow Longbows. Yeah, Mike Yancey. So he taught me how to build from a stave and do it all. Oh, Uh, cool. So that was great. And I started making, so that's what started the string thing is making the the Flemish twist string for my my longbows and my recurves. And I thought... You know, this could be a business making your own bows, but man, it's it's tough. Making your own bows is tough. <laughs> you could be 20 hours in to a piece of wood and wood's so inconsistent. You could be 20 hours in and have it break, you know, and have to yeah. just start over. So it's something you really got to love. I was building a lot of bows. I really enjoyed the process, but 20 hours of work into it, it could break, it might not. And then trying to turn around and sell it, it, it was tough. So... I got to thinking, what's the next challenge? Well, building compound strings, because my favorite part of the longbow building process was making the Flemish twist strings. So I'm like, the one thing I need to do to basically do everything out of my house, working on my own equipment, is building compound bow strings. And so um, I talked to my wife about the idea, and she was real supportive, because when you go into string building, there's a lot of equipment. There's There's you know, the twisting, the stretching, the serving, the jigs, the spools, the, the, you know, there's so much that goes into it. So 
she knows that when I dive into something, I dive in deep and I'm willing to give all my effort. Mm-hmm. So when I pitched the idea to her, she said, you know, let's do it. So got the got the equipment in. And I got to admit, I mean, it was trial and error. I There's not <laughs> somebody here showing me how to do it. I'm trying to rely on information on the Internet, some YouTube videos. You know, shout out to a lot of the big builders because they gave me tips and tricks to get started. And then, uh, you know, my buddy Landon, I'd probably send him a new string every three days. And I'd say, hey, man, like, <laughs> test this one, test this one. So he probably got sick of, of having to change his strings all the time. But I needed that feedback to get where I am now. So it's been a great process. Yeah, that's a I, – I'm guessing strings aren't as, like, temperamental as building your own bow. <clears throat> I can't imagine being, like, a longbow or a recurve builder – um, like you said, just, just a possibility that you put in God knows how many hours and just one stupid little thing happens. And then all of a sudden that bow just breaks. And I don't know how you, maybe that, is that possibly why there's such a lead time on things like that? There is a process because a lot of these bowyers are like, it's just maybe them by themselves or them and one other guy building bows. And on the laminate side, it's quite a bit different than like the self bows because on the self-bow side, you really are. You're taking a piece of wood, and you're turning that piece of wood into to a bow. And by the time you're shaving it and making sure the tiller's good, it needs to meet the customer's, their length, their weight at their draw length. So there's a lot that goes into it. So shout out to those guys that yeah. do that, because that's yeah. it's tough. Well, that's that's an intimidating thing, because I've, I've obviously, like... Well, not obviously, but I've recently posted a lot about wanting to get into recurve and hunting uh, with a traditional bow. I didn't realize all the elements. I th- I don't know why I thought this, but I kind of thought it was just you make you make the bow, you put the string on it, and I never thought any further of like how do you achieve draw weight, draw length, and then when they start getting into tiller and all this, I'm like, whoa, mm-hmm. that's way more than I bargained for on that. And yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm sure it's one of those things and you can speak to it to someone who hasn't done any of that. It seems like, how would you ever even find the draw weight? Like, how would you even do that? And I'm sure there's ways to do that where it's not as bad, but still mm-hmm. that is a ton of work. It's a lot. It's a very slow process. And what you do, you know, a customer wants like a 56 inch or whatever length they want. And let's say they want 40 pounds well, during the tillering process, when you're removing wood, you're making sure that both limbs are bending, and it's bending throughout the whole limb and not having weak spots. So towards the end, you just have you have a cabinet scraper, and you're just barely taking shaving little pieces of wood off. You put it back on. You measure the draw weight. Check the tiller. You're taking shaving little pieces just to achieve that. So a lot of them can say, like, if you wanted 42 pounds at 28 inches, they'll say, hey, you know, there's a little tolerance in there. It could be... Anywhere from 40 to 44 pounds because you could overshave mm. and then have, you know, the limbs could get weak. Wood, it's not consistent all the way through. The fibers are just, they're kind of all over the place. So, well, I think you probably made the better choice going to the string. There's got to be as, yeah. as complicated as <laughs> yeah. that probably is. At least, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, and I may, I may be because I know nothing about string building, but I mean, those things don't normally snap on you or. No. Anything like that? Like, what kind of problems do you run into? Let's say, especially beginning, you know, early on in your career doing that, 
what were like oh, the man. hardest parts of building a string that you kept, you know, before you felt like you perfected it and you're ready to take it to the market? Mm-hmm. What were some of the big things that, that kind of set you back? I really had to kind of refine the, the process I was using for serving and the tensions and making sure that there wasn't going to be any peep twist. I've had to modify how long I stretch for. So there is a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of variables. Um, I think, and, and making sure the diameters are good. One thing I didn't really consider early on is these bow manufacturers, you know, in their specs, um, the finished the finish diameter for certain like cable tracks and stuff like that uh, varies, so you really have to mm-hmm. be specific. It, there's pretty tight tolerances, and uh, if you're not within those tolerances, it can change a lot on a bow. Now, is that? I wonder when you said that. I've heard a lot of people complaining about, um, and I'm I, I'm assuming it's happening with factory strings, but I've heard a lot of things with the lift, the new lift, having the string come off the uh, cam when people are drawing and people are saying it's got to do with whatever kind of torque you're putting on the string. It's like somehow the string is coming off the cam and their bows are blowing Mm -hmm. up. I haven't heard that one yet, but if that's happening, um, I've seen that happen in the past with bows and and especially if the cam, the track is very narrow. And so it doesn't take much for the string to jump over that track that keeps the string, you know, on it's centered in the cam. So if that's yeah. machined very thin, which I don't have the bow in front of me, but you know, Matthews, they do such a good job with prototyping and engineering that I, th- you know, if I wouldn't think that that'd be a problem, but if it's happening to people, I'm, you know, it's hard to say what could be causing that. But yeah, if it, if those are narrow grooves and people are kind of torquing their bow back when they're drawing, I can see how it would cause that. Well, that like, you know, I'm, I'm still shooting a VXR, which, to be completely honest, I have not shot a lift yet, but I've shot the V3, the V3X, the, mm-hmm. what was it, Phase 4. None of those, like, shocked me enough to say, like, oh, this VXR is outdated now. But, like, mm-hmm. with the lift, like, I was kind of looking at, you know, when, to be totally honest, the only reason is because I came out with Bottomland, and I was like, oh, Oh, Matthews, <laughs> I don't care about your technology, but you might you might have snagged me with the bottomland finish. Um, and then I went, it was on a Facebook group or something, and some guy mentioned it. And then, of course, like 200,000 people were like, you dry fired it, you dry fired it. And then all of a sudden there trickled in some stories of like, oh, no, 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 we did. We had this happen, too. And it got in a conversation oh, of wow. like the, the cam, I don't know what you call it, valley groove, whatever you want to call it, is like shallow. Which scared me away because I know I use a uh, a handheld, a knock to it, and even the way <clears throat> Dudley explains how to draw, like you almost, you kind of torque that D loop a little bit through mm-hmm. the process, and I'm like, man, I would hate to spend all that money just to have that happen. <laughs> I'm like, I guess VXR is working for me pretty good. Yeah, I'll I'll have to keep an eye on that. I've I've got a lift on order. I'm not sure when it's going to be here, but if that's true, it's unfortunate because I know if I sell strings and it and somebody blows their bow up, they could say, "Hey, you know, you sent me a string and now my bow's blown up." I don't want that to yeah. 
to interfere. <laughs> a, a question I have for you, you know, do you, did you know what differences did you notice when you went from like the the factory string to the bloodline strings? I initially felt I I don't know how to describe it, and it it could be a difference because the string that was on my bow, while it wasn't old and abused, it was still used a little bit, but mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. it. The string felt snappier when you released, mm-hmm. and that could just be because it's a new unstretched string it's hard to put into words it felt it just felt different the my draw cycle felt tighter I guess maybe Mm -hmm. um when now this is this is kind of weird but when I would be at full draw with the old string I felt it felt mushier and I felt like everything was a little more solid and tight um but the one thing that I've noticed as opposed the, the biggest thing I notice is with the old string versus this string, which I've I've shot quite a lot now, so it's got age, some age on it. The peep twist on the old string was terrible. And I always had to twist it and twist it. And this string, I mean, gosh, I don't even remember how long I've had it. My peep has stayed in the exact same spot mm-hmm. this entire time. It has not moved an inch. It it has not the string for my limited knowledge on like what string stretch might feel like. Cause I've, I've only been through two strings. Um, the thing feels exactly like it did the day I had it put on. And mm-hmm. I noticed the degrading of the string, the old string, like I could notice that over time. Um, and then also when you look at, when you look at my string now versus that old string, you always had to wax it. It would start to fray. Um, mm-hmm. It'd start looking pretty gnarly. This string, I haven't had to do anything with. Yeah, so an interesting thing about that, and it's it's interesting that you notice that stuff because a lot of people do. And on the waxed, on the waxed strings, um, like I said before, the, it attracts dirt and sand, and that stuff mm-hmm. gets... You know, the serving isn't waxed, but when you're serving tight over waxed fiber, it gets embedded in the serving. So it still collects dirt, dust, sand. It gets into your cam. It gets through your roller guard. So it really chews up stuff fast, especially if you, you know, you hunt and you're exposed to the elements. It can really break down the fibers and be super abrasive. And and when you notice the sound and the feel, it's interesting. Like I said, Bloodline's fairly new. And you have people that are kind of stuck in their ways. And they're like, you know, I just, it sounds different. It feels different. And this is kind (laughs) of like a crazy, this is going to be kind of a crazy analogy. But imagine back when like the first automobile was ever made. And a a cowboy comes up on his horse, gets in the automobile, drives it, comes back and says, you know, it it was okay, but it feels different. It sounds different. I don't like it. And then jumps back on his horse. The same thing's happening yeah. with, with this bloodline fiber. <laughs> like people, they don't like the sound of it. It feels different. So they just, what I've noticed though, is a lot of my customers, when they try it and they get used to it, like they don't, they, they don't go back. And a little bit of history, you know, BCY, I'm not, I'm not dissing them. They just, they've been the staple for, for string fiber and bloodline you know, they want to give them a run for their money. They know that they've been around forever. There's not a lot of competition in the string fiber market, so it's good. Mm-hmm. It forces, you know, some more accountability and to come out with better products. It used to be BCY, Brownell, 
Brownell went under, was sold a few times. So, you know, you have some builders will, will they'll take historical, they'll take some data and they'll say bold things like, you know, the majority of people that win competitions are using BCY452X. The majority of people that shoot big bucks. Well, of course you can make those statements because it's been the standard. It's been around forever. 90% of the bows out there have BCY452X. So that, that data, those bold statements work both ways. You could also say most people that lose archery tournaments are using BCY452X. Most people that miss a deer, <laughs> yeah. most people that derail their bow, like that data, you know, like it worked. Be careful with it because it works both ways. Bloodline's yeah. a new thing. I think as people get used to it and you start seeing more shooters trusting it and it, the word's starting to spread like a wildfire, there's a lot of builders that are starting to build with it. Um, so I I imagine, you know, before long, it's there's there's quite a few people that are going to be switching to it, so... Yeah, and I'm, it's interesting that you say people don't like the like sound or whatever of it because I, like I said, the only mm-hmm. thing I can think of is it felt snappier in a good way. Um, but I, I, like I said, after shooting it for so long, like I'm not going to go back to a normal BCY bowstring. Mm-hmm. Like the benefits. And I'm not of, sure it's that they. Yeah, I'm not sure it's that they don't like the sound. I just think it's they're not used to it. Like they're not used to the feel of it, the sound of it. it you yeah. know, they just people are kind of get stuck in their ways with stuff. Well, I think that's kind of a, that's kind of how a lot of hunters are with a lot of things. Uh, whether, you know, it might be a, a firearm they've hunted with for years and years and years, or, you know, whatever the way they hunt, the style they hunt, when somebody different comes along and does it different, generally in like the hunting world, it just gets crapped on as, oh, you new people just blah, blah, or, you know, I don't, that's not how you hunt. That's not the way to do it. And it's like, well, there's a million different ways to do this. Are you killing a deer at the end of the day? Are you shooting an X at the end of the day? Like, and, and are you confident in what you're doing? I think that's really the marker we should be looking at rather than, you know, crapping on new things. But yeah, I, in terms of, in terms of the, the bloodline fiber string, I don't, I, I mean, I, I'm not putting you on blast here, but I'm curious are there any negatives to it? Because for me personally, so far, there's been nothing but positive things come out of that, that string and that material. Yeah. I'll say, you know, um, it's a little slick. So for builders, it's kind of hard to work with when you're laying it up and serving. And then, uh, so the other, the only, the only complaints really is when guys get the string and they go to put a peep side in because it's slick. Some of the, the, um, serving choices they use to try to tie in their peep sight kind of moves around because it doesn't stick to the fiber as tightly. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, like in the past, Bloodline, the pigment coating combination they use, uh, when you serve tight, it kind of bleeds through and it has like a speckle effect on the serving. So it didn't look as clean. But interesting enough, and this is a good time to bring this up, Bloodline's in Vegas right now and they just released a new fiber called revelation some of the string builders mm. got together and worked on it i got to test some of it and the two you know two of the big things they addressed is well this fiber is really slippery well now they have what's called gecko tech it's called gecko tech and it's the serving sticks tight as heck to it mm-hmm. and with the the combination of the pigment and the gecko tech 
it um it doesn't have that bleed through anymore. Yeah. So the two biggest complaints are have just got alleviated with this new product and it should be out in a in a couple months for purchase. I can understand I can understand, you know, the you know, being a yeah, if you're trying to serve in a peep site and that's moving, I guess mm-hmm. that could be a thing, but I don't know, man. The whole bleeding through thing, like are you really that I guess some people some are. Some people are real particular. Some guys I mean, <laughs> they kind of like that speckle effect, but some people, man, they just yeah, I think it'd be cool. They're very particular. Yeah. yeah. The other thing too, I don't know if you saw, but Bloodline came out with it's called String String Max. Yeah, talk about that. And I just saw that not too long ago. Yep, it's in a dripper, and it just you put it on the fiber itself and kind of rub it in with your fingers, let it dry, and just wipe the excess off. It's not a wax. It's not like mineral oil. It's not a conditioner. It's just like an extra layer of protection for the string. The other thing, too, and this is good for, you know, new hunters in the watching the podcast, they have this new D-loop material. And, you know, for people that have been working on their bows a long time or people that have been shooting a long time, they know when it's time to change out their D-loop. They, they, they can see that it's fraying. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But on this, it's called Code Red because it has a red core in the center of it. And what that does is after you shoot your bow, when it starts to wear out, that red core will become visible. So it's just like a visual indicator no. that it's time to change your string out. So for new hunters or people that they don't really know when to change their strings out, something like this is great. Um, it's it's a great D-loop material anyway, even if you do know how to, you know, when a good time to change your D-loop is because it does have that specialized coating in it that makes it last a while. It's 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 pretty grippy. Um, I've been testing it for a while, and I think it's great. So that's another product that they have. It's called Code Red. Yeah, that look, that that's a pretty good, pretty good idea. I mean, I... I know <laughs> mine, the first time I had to change my D-loop out was because somebody else was like, hey, bro, you're going to punch yourself <laughs> in the face if you don't. Because I didn't know any better. I don't know what, I mean, you don't, how am I supposed to know it's not supposed to fray? Sure, like, I yeah. come from like a, I'm a wrestler and I was a BMX rider and like you mm-hmm. ride raggedy bikes, you crash them all the time. You know what I mean? You don't know it's going to break mm-hmm. till it breaks. And in wrestling, it's kind of the right. same thing. You go until you break. So it's like, oh, yeah. this thing, and they're like, yeah, you need to change that, and then, uh, yeah. So that's a that's a a great thing for newer guys, and just to kind of learn <laughs> to pay pay better yeah. attention to your equipment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll have to remind me. I'm gonna I want to send you some of this for you to try out. You'll have to let me know what you think. Yeah, absolutely. I still don't know what I'm doing, so it probably helped me out. <laughs> <laughs> So in terms of, before we hop on to uh, the next subject, in terms of um, those strings, I have, well, I guess there's two questions. One, um, do they typically last longer than your, than a normal string? Um, do they end up, do they stretch out? Like, oh, cause like I said, I don't notice a dang difference in mine after, I mean, it's been at least at the very least. Well, it would have been sometime mid-year last year that I I got mm-hmm. that from you. So we got to be going yeah. on eight, nine months of shooting on this string, and I haven't noticed any difference. Yeah, again, I'd say, you know, it's a combination of the, the process and the fiber itself. Um, the difference between, like, VEC 99, that's the Bloodline product I use, and, like, 452X, besides the wax, is 
they're both a blended material. Um, so the 452X, it has the SK75 Dyneema, and that since has been replaced with SK99 Dyneema, and that's what's used in the VEC99. And that, that's a higher grade of Dyneema. It has a higher strength. It does, it's not as elastic. Um, but again, that goes back to like the feel and the sound. Some people don't like that, but it's a, it's a better product. Um, but yeah, the process, it not having wax and having the debris break it down, you know, just like tires, it is a consumable product. So at some point, uh, you're going to see the abrasion marks and little frays kind of coming up and that's inevitable. It's going to happen on every string, no matter what, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, it's our understanding from us shooting and customers and stuff that they are, they are noticing a longer life in their string with the bloodline material. So, and then the, the last one is kind of just my own curiosity, so you make strings for every type of bow you can imagine. How do mm -hmm. you know what strings go with what bow? Is that more of is it is it more standard than I think it is or do you have to like look up specs on everything and try yep. it out? Yeah, so it's actually specs. Um that was one thing that was fairly intimidating uh when building is it's like I don't know if you've ever seen a string like schematic spec, but when I used to do electrical no. work, um, I could read like electrical schematics really well. So when I see like a string schematic, it was intimidating at first, but now, uh, you know, customer order strings, they put their bow in, they put their lengths in. I get the string spec and it tells me, you know, let's say the string 60 inches, I know to serve, the bottom serving is going to be 20 inches of serving. There's going to be, a two inch break of bare fiber, you know, the string stop's gonna start at, you know, 27 to 29 inches, and then the center serving goes from here to here, and then it goes even further to tell you how much speed knocks, which locations they start at, where they end. So it's very mm. specific. It's it's specific to that bow. Yeah, that that's kinda because I was trying to liken it to if you were to be like a say like a Kydex holster maker, like Mm -hmm. You don't just make one Kydex holster that fits 47, you know, 40 different guns. You have to make the holster for a specific gun. And so you got to get a mold for that specific gun. And I was like, surely you don't own every bow ever made. So I was curious how you, yeah. how you go about doing that. <laughs> yep. We, uh, and that's another thing, you know, in the string builder community, we're really good about being resourceful with each other and sharing notes and build specs and stuff like that. So that's a lot of ways how we obtain them is just sharing them with each other. And with the exception of like, so the Phase 4 and the V3X, surprising enough, they had the exact same string specs. Mm. Um, but that's extremely uncommon. Most every bow is completely different from another bow. So Yeah. Well, that's cool that you guys share that info because, you know, a lot of times when, when you got competition, nobody, yeah, I, <laughs> nobody dude, wants to talk about community. anything. It's it, I'm surprisingly helpful, and that's that's another point I like to make real quick. Like, if you guys buy strings for me, and I appreciate like on social media when someone says, "Hey, I want to replace my string," who do you suggest? I love it. I love seeing when you guys. I don't ever tell people to go on there and suggest recommend me, but they do. <clears throat> but what I don't like to see, and please don't do this, is if someone goes, "Hey, like X Y Z built me a string," it the strings. Tw twisting the peeps all over the place i got serving separation 
please don't go on there and say, well, X, Y, Z, they suck. They have a sucky string. Yeah. Don't ever buy from them. Like, that's one thing. I even put it on my website. Like, I don't ever want to talk down on another builder. I don't ever want to talk down on their process, what they build with. You know, more oftentimes, more than not, like, we've all kind of helped each other out in one way or another. So, Yeah, that's that's notorious on Facebook groups. You got one dude has one thing wrong. And rather than just call the company and say, hey, this is what's going on. Can we rectify the situation? Dude, they jump straight to Facebook and they tell awful. everybody. It is it awful. You, They try to smear names. And it's like at the end yeah. of the day, man, we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. I have a small business, nothing compared to a lot of guys out there. But like, dude, just... Talk to me first. If you yep. come to me and say, hey, I had a problem with your product, or in my case, apparel, hey, there's something wrong with, you, I got the mm-hmm. wrong size or whatever, <clears throat> let me have a chance to fix it. Now, if I come to you and say, I don't believe you, or too bad, you know, whatever, you're on your own, good luck. If I'm an asshole to you, and that's my mm-hmm. customer service, it's a little more understandable. But, like, people, give these companies yeah, chances. It, Most of them are right. super you're exactly small. exactly right. And it's funny because guys will post and be like, oh, man, like they'll post a picture of their bow and they'll say this company, this string builder, they built this string wrong. And it's like, man, you put you installed the string wrong like that cables completely backwards. So you'll see stuff like that, too. And for me, um, you know, one yeah. thing is I, I don't work behind like a big company. So every string that leaves that leaves my house has my face on it. Like you might as well say my name. Um, so I understanding that, like, I can't afford to make mistakes. I can't send subpar stuff out. Like my tolerances are tight. If I wouldn't put it on my own bow, I'm not going to send it out there. Um, you know, it, it's hard to not take things personally because it's, it's a lot of dedication and work and I'm passionate about what I do and I want you to have a good string. If I made a mistake and you talk to me about it, I'll fix it. And even if you're the one that made a mistake, you know, a couple of times I had a guy say, Hey, you know, silly me, I put, I went to put a bow square on and I, I nicked my string and they'll send me a picture. And I'm like, dude, I've got, here's a picture of your shipping label. Like you're getting another one coming because of the honesty. Like I want to be honest with people. I want people to be honest yeah. with me. Cause there is plenty of people out there that say, look, these strings, they came cut, they suck, they lie about it. So when someone admits <laughs> their mistake, like I'm willing to take care of it. Well, on the bottom line it too, like, like I kind of alluded to was like, with the exception of a few, most mm-hmm. hunting companies, even the even the big names in our industry, they are not big companies in terms of like compared to say I work for John Deere. Uh, John Deere's again, John Deere huge. It's in my opinion uh, number one ag company, construction, all that stuff. But then you put it up against something like Amazon. John Deere mm-hmm. looks like a small business. So keep in mind, guys, when you're bashing these That's guys, a, good point. a lot of times, even the big names in our industry are not big companies relative to like the world of companies. And mm-hmm. it is a lot more personal because a lot of these guys are doing these things on their free time. Uh, they might be doing it out of their house or a very small shop and they're not balling. They're not rich. No matter yep. what you might think or see on Instagram, these guys are like, honest dudes trying to make a product that so when you when you go on there it's real easy for you to throw shade on the internet you don't realize the implications of that to this guy because it's it's not the same as saying 
Amazon screwed my order up. Amazon could care less about your order. These guys do. It's a lot smaller scale than what you think it is. You're a thousand percent right about that. And it sucks to, you know, these, these small businesses, it's somebody's dream. So to get on Facebook and see something that yeah. you know, could have been hashed out, it's, it's, you know, it's, it is what it is, but it's just, it sucks to see that. One more point and then we'll get off the negativity train. Cause I want to talk to you about yep, drones, you um, which <laughs> could bring up a whole nother, ne- who knows? I'm excited for that uh, one. But one other thing. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> One other thing I saw um, kind of relative to that was somebody put out a product, and I'm not going to say any names. If you saw the post, you saw the post, but a guy put out a new product for his thing, and it's like all of these people, that's stupid. That sucks. I wouldn't have done it that way. When are you ever going to use that? Oh, you're just adding more weight to your saddle setup. Every little thing just going at this guy. And I, I, I simply posted, like, what are you guys contributing? Like if you're, I I said this in a former podcast, one of the after hours, like if you're not contributing, if you're not chasing a dream or whatever you want to call it, dude, just, if you don't have, it's the old rule. If you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say it. Like you don't realize like at least, yeah, man, at least this guy is contributing to our community. Mm -hmm. They're putting things out. They're being creative. They're using their talents and their time to create something, why would we crap on that? Even if it is a product you don't think you would ever use, or maybe it doesn't make sense to you, it might make sense to other people. And I think we need to do a better job as a community as a whole. Like, if you don't like saddle hunting, for instance, just leave it alone. You don't have to tell everybody, well, a saddle's Mm -hmm. dumb, and really, you know, you you should be in a stand, and then this is why, and I've been hunting for 40 years, and I know... Dude, if you don't like it, just scroll on. Let this yeah, dude do you, his thing. For the keyboard warriors, if you wouldn't be willing to say it to someone's face, don't type it. Yeah. And, you know, the, I th- I feel like it's so easy for us on, on the internet when there's not that face-to-face interaction. You know you're not going to get punched in the face. Um, it's super easy. Even, even if you're not a keyboard warrior, like a troll person, you're still there's still things and conversations you might have online that you may not say that in person. Um, so it's easy for you to say things. It's easy for you to cut somebody down. The thing that we don't remember is that although it's easier and it's, you know, trouble free on your end, the person on the other end still has a real life reaction to that. So Mm -hmm. While you won't get punched in the face like you would face to face, that person still receives it as if you said it face to face. You know that, and they have no yeah. recourse. That's a good point, man. And it's just like I said, it's it's a person's dream, and I I'm so passionate about it, and I care so much. I care so much about my customers. I care so much about the product that if if I just logged into Facebook and I seen someone talking mad crap, I mean, it'd be hard not to take it personally just because of how much work, you know, I've put into it. Yeah. Well, and then you can't even really, because you're trying to represent your brand well, even when you have like a mega dick saying stuff that like you would really <laughs> like to, you know, I, there's some things you can scroll by and be like, uh, whatever, dude. There's a lot of times, especially on my page, I, I, I get so much crap from people just because I'm newer and I <clears throat> I don't have enough time in the game that I should even have a podcast. 
And I had a guy tell me the other day that I am part of what's wrong with this ever-evolving wow. hunting community because I'm telling people that, you know, shoot whatever you want. I'm telling people mm -hmm. all of this, whatever it may be. And the guy's basically saying, because I don't have 40 years of experience in the game, I should shut up. I don't deserve to have a podcast. What I'm doing well, is damaging. And I'm like, I asked him, I said, what have you done in 40 years of you being alive? What have you contributed to this? It, you know, it reminds me of a saying, like, you don't really get criticized by people that are doing more than you. And it's easy That's for those people to talk shit online. It really is. And I'm glad you, you know, take it with a grain of salt and keep doing what you're doing. Because if everyone took the heat and and took it to hard enough to like stop doing what they're doing, there wouldn't be any businesses out there. There's not a there's not a successful business in existence that didn't have to face some sort of like scrutiny along the way, right? Like it's yeah. kind of par for the course. It it sucks, but you just gotta kinda, you know, take it take it and roll with it. Yeah. And it's good to see you, you know, not getting discouraged. Like I would have hate for people to say something like that for you, you to take it, you know, personally enough to, to stop doing what you're doing. So I like the resilience yeah. there. Well, it's like a two part thing. Like one, I think that, so the Vince of let's say 2018, 2019, I was, I've always like, spoken my mind but I was always more of the my dad taught me way back in the day if you get in a fight you need to worry about the quiet guy because that's the dude that's going to whoop your butt and mm -hmm. I'm not not saying like I'm Billy badass but I was that quiet guy I would just if you wanted to run your mouth go ahead and if you hit a certain level then you're going to get you're going to get it but mm -hmm. <laughs> one thing I've noticed since COVID since uh my opinion of government overreach in a lot of situations, um, just culture in general, along with having two, two kids, I've gotten a lot more bold. I've gotten a lot more like to what you said, like resilient to like, go ahead, man. That's I'm going to say what I, I like want to say. You can say what you want to say. And if we got something, you know, I'll, I'll go after it. But I also have to say with all that negativity that can come from it, it seems like every time I have an interaction with somebody publicly, like the other day, mm -hmm. for that one guy that says, you're, the, you're what's wrong with this, I have 10 to 15 guys private message me on the side, yep. if not in that threads, to say, hey, man, I love what you're doing. I want you to keep mm -hmm. doing it. And honestly, with a podcast and all that stuff, and I'm sure you know with like having a company, if you guys out there that that do send supportive messages. If you guys didn't exist, I probably wouldn't do this. I probably would have said, well, this isn't worth my time. It's not that I want to quit, but it's not worth my time. But there is a, a, a large level of positivity that, that mm -hmm. far outweighs those negative trolls out there that, you know, they just, they, they got a, a crappy life or something. They don't have any other outlet, but the internet, but there is a lot of great people in this industry as well. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. Yeah, that's a great point. And I've got to say, that's one thing like I've noticed about you off the bat <clears throat> is, um, you know, you're a, a new hunter and you're doing this new hunter podcast, but you're not afraid to, to be bold. And I've seen you make some bold, 
you know, reels and statements <laughs> and kind of test the waters, stir yeah. the pot a little bit. I like it. Yeah. It never hurts to be a little controversial, but I like that you're not you're not like, oh, I'm new, so I can't have an opinion. You're like, here's my opinion, you know, like what do you guys think? So I, I enjoy it. Yeah. Well, and and one thing I learned I learned it off of my first uh the first one I put out a long time ago that was really like controversial um was when I had JP France on and I said if you're a crossbow hunter I don't think you're a bow hunter I think you're a crossbow hunter dude that thing went wild I heard everything <laughs> under the sun I've said it before the guys that came after me hardest was the were actually the trad bow community I don't know how that mm-hmm. happened but what I noticed from that is when you do push boundaries a little bit uh I learned an awful lot I have changed my perspective an awful lot because I put that out there. And if I, if I go out there and say, you know, crossbow hunters are just, you know, crossbow hunters matter. Everything's great. Like you'll get like some people like, yeah, sure. When you put something out controversial, you get to see both sides of the argument. And there were a lot, a lot of different perspectives that I would have never thought about on my own that popped up. And it made me look at it and, and think like, Hey, you know, I, maybe I was wrong for saying, I had a lot of guys say I bow hunted my entire life. And when I turned 66, whatever it may be, my only way to stay in the woods was to get a crossbow. I can't pull a bow anymore. Shoulders shot, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. That's my only way to stay in. I think I deserve to be a bow hunter. I never thought of that. And after that, you know, a handful of people brought that point to my attention it made me change my mind and say, Hey, maybe that, yeah, that wasn't, I should, I could have clarified much better on what I said then, but yeah, absolutely. If you've, if you've been a hunter your whole life and then you transition to a crossbow to continue to Mm -hmm. be able to go to the woods, I support that a million percent. Like I would never tell you, well, if you have to pick up a crossbow, you might as well quit. Like that's, that's stupid, you know? So that's another reason I'm, I'm willing to kind of say some things sometimes that might, perk some ears up because selfishly I learn a lot from that that's so spe- right man I like it speaking of learning I'm I'm gonna keep you way longer than I promised I think <laughs> that's fine man I can talk I could do this for forever <laughs> right all right guys let's take a pause real quick and go through the AF Co. friends of the show with you these are all uh, friends of mine that have great companies. They're great people, great American-made products. So I want you guys to check those out. There's going to be discount codes in the show notes below, so you can take advantage of that. And I just encourage you to check all of these companies out, see what they have to offer. So for starters, we got more innovations. If you're looking for some 3D-printed equipment for your bow shop at home, more innovations has you covered. Um, we've got the wall mount quiver behind me that I use. Uh, I always tell you guys about the, uh, grenade pen holder that I think is pretty sweet, but he's got all kinds of caddies that attach to your bow press and things like that to keep all of your parts and your strings and everything else you're using. You can keep it all in one place. So you're not losing it. So check out moreinnovations.com. And secondly, we have Unbound Archery. So you guys, I don't have to say a whole lot about Unbound this time. You guys are learning all about it in this show today. So uh, strings, A, look really great, um, and they are of the highest quality. They use bloodline fiber, which you now know a little bit about. Um, They are low to no stretch, low to no maintenance. Um, They're just really great strings. So check them out at unboundarchery.com. 
VPA, Vantage Point Archery. Guys, I shot the Omega this year. Um, the lay flat technology on that makes it a breeze to sharpen. Um, you can use that head over and over and over. But if you're one of those people, you're not into single bevel two blades, they've got you covered with whatever kind of broadhead you want, minus mechanicals. But uh, yeah, check out VPA. Um, whether you're looking for sharpening stones, a strop, a new riser for your recurve, VPA has you covered. So check out vparchery.com. And next we have Buzzard Roost Saddles. So guys, I'm a saddle hunter and I've been through a bunch of saddles and I can tell you that nothing is as comfortable or adjustable as a Buzzard Roost saddle is. It will be the best thing that you sit in. Um, I kind of did the hybrid hunt thing this year, but obviously I was in a saddle majority of the time and I had no hip pinch. I didn't have the saddle riding up my butt. Um, anytime I felt like I wanted something different, you just make a quick adjustment on it and you're back in the game totally comfortable. So check out buzzardroostsaddles.com. And the official coffee of New Hunter Podcast is Our Grounds Coffee Co. Guys, like I said before, whether you're a gas station guy or you are a coffee snob, you are going to love Our Grounds Coffee Co. We all need our coffee and you deserve better than whatever that gas station has in that tank. I don't know what it is. Usually to me, it tastes like they took cardboard, shredded it up, and then ran water through it. Um, if you want to step up your coffee game, go to rgroundscoffeeco.com. You are going to love it. My personal favorite is the light roast, the color phase, um, but all of the rest of their lineup is great as well. So check out rgroundscoffeeco.com. And finally, Adams Precision Archery. Guys, if you are in the market for truly customized arrows, Adams is the place to go. Whether you are looking for custom wraps, um, custom colorways on your arrows, uh, whatever components you could possibly want in your arrows, they truly 100% customize that to fit what you need and what you want. There's no reason you got to settle for an ugly arrow just to get a good arrow. Um, Adams has you covered on all of it. So check out adamsprecisionarchery.com. So with that, guys, I'll remind you one more time. We have antlerfeatherco.com if you want to pick up some AFCO gear. Um, I appreciate all you guys that continue to support us in that way. Um, and with that, let's hop back into the conversation with Nick from Unbound Archery. So I wanted to talk about drones in hunting. So let's, before we get into any of the, any of the nuances of this thing, um, mm -hmm. you had said you're, you are qualified to speak on this on, on many levels because you said you, you're a pilot, you're, go ahead and give a background of your drone thing. So yeah, I've been a commercial drone pilot for almost a decade now. And I got into it because I, you know, I I got a degree in energy technology. I worked for General Electric. Um, so I worked, I worked with wind turbines. And, you know, as technology kind of gained, you know, caught up, like we had to do inspections on blades. So I got my certification to fly and inspect, like inspect the blade, see if there's any cracked, inspect transmission lines. So I've been working with drones for just over 10 years now. So f the first, the first initial thing I have, I have an experience of my own through somebody else who's used one before. Um, so I had a couple questions pop up in my head, but initially I think with drones, when it comes to recovering a deer, mm -hmm. I'm totally for it. 
especially when you look at like thermal imaging and stuff. Yeah. If you, I would, I don't know how many people really would disagree with the use of drones if you've exhausted all other resources. Like if you're cool with dogs, I don't know why you're not cool with drones personally. Exactly. But at the end of the day, we owe that deer or whatever it is, we owe them everything to find that animal, recover it, and harvest the meat off that thing. Yep. And if one tool in our belt, if it's legal, one tool in our belt, if that can be, all right, last ditch effort, let's get a thermal drone and look for it. I'm cool with that 100%. Now, the flip side of that, and this is where some of my experience comes into it, I was told that along with finding that deer that they were looking for, they also found every other deer on the property. Yep. And that's where I think if you're using it in terms of a scouting mm-hmm. tool, now now I think you're getting into some muddy waters. So I'm curious what your so opinion I, on yeah. that is. I'd like to touch on that a little bit. Um, so first of all, yes, you can find any animal that has a heat signature with a thermal drone. But, you know, the way I look at it is, do you prevent rifle hunting because somebody could shoot a deer at night with a spotlight? No, you right. just you enforce guidelines, you enforce punishments. And drones, it's it's a tool, you know, if somebody shot a deer, you spend all this money like the states, they want you to like you should exhaust all efforts in finding that animal. And if that means a thermal drone, look the drone doesn't get tired. It could find stuff fast. It can cover ground. And it's not like just anybody can go out, buy a drone, and fly. And that's one thing I think a lot of people don't realize is if you're flying a drone commercially, you have to have your Part 107 certification from the FAA. And I'll tell you this. Anyone that's got that certification sorry, will tell you it's extremely difficult. The FAA... They don't want just everyone out there flying a drone around. They want you to have a sense of respect for what they've developed for aircraft. So for me to get it, I had to learn what NOTAMs were. I had to learn what METARs were. I had to learn what colors and signage at an airport is. I had to learn all the airspace. I had to learn stuff that you would never need to know flying a drone because they want (laughs) you to learn. It's tough, man. It's one of the toughest tests I've ever taken. The equipment is super expensive to, you know, to get a drone. Yeah. So I think people think like, oh man, like everyone's going to be out there. They're going to be flying around. Like you can't do that. And the other thing I'll say is it's almost like gun control and gun laws, right? What are you doing? You're only preventing law abiding citizens. So if you make recovering illegal, you're only outlawing people that are going to use it for good. Cause if somebody's scouting deer with it, they don't, they don't care what a law is. Right? Like right. they're gonna do it right. anyway. So that's that's how I feel about it. And we're yeah. in Kansas, Kansas is one of the states that they're talking about it now. I think they're getting ready to release a statement. But where they're hung up on it is I don't know if you've ever heard of like take laws. A lot of the states have them. Uh-uh. And it it's it's like the the legal use of equipment, not only for harvesting but recovering a deer. So technically, according to take laws, right, like you can't hunt with a flashlight at night, but you can recover your deer at night with a flashlight, you know? So it's like the there's so much gray area with take, and that's where I think the Kansas 
you know, the commissioners are hung up is like, where does this fit in a take? Well, we recently legalized recovery with a dog in Kansas, but you can't hunt with a dog in Kansas. So if that's their stance, I'm curious to see what they release. I've sent emails to all the commissioners, you know, explaining all the things I just explained to you. And anyone that's been on the topic of like uh, deer recovery, you've probably heard of Mike at Drone Deer Recovery because he does mm-hmm. a lot of podcasts. He talks about a lot of the benefits. His YouTube videos are are pretty wicked if you guys want to check some of that <laughs> stuff out. But I mean, overall, anything could be used for good. Anything could be used for bad. And I think if we do it the right way, we can get a lot of good use out of it. Yeah. Now, is it Kansas? You guys, you can't use trail cams, right? You can on private. They just outlawed it on public this year, oh, I guess, okay. for 2023. I was going to say, that will be kind of a an interesting if they were to allow drone but not allow that. But right. I guess, the like I said, one of the topics that came up uh, against it was even if you're not intending to use it to find deer to hunt – it could be a unintended consequence of trying to recover a deer. Again, this is why I asked questions because I didn't think about, I didn't relay it to like gun control laws. And you're absolutely right with that. And I'm not big on, I mean, I'm big on laws that like keep people safe and all that, you know, your normal right, stuff. Right. But obviously in terms of like gun laws, and they like, yeah, I guess, I guess when you think about, you're just outlawing people who want to use it for the right mm-hmm. reasons from, now now they're not going to be able to use it just because a small handful of idiots are going to use it for right. the wrong thing. I was just going to say it's one of those things like, um, you know, if you think about a dog, and I'm not bashing the dog. Like, I have friends that use dog for recovery, and I'm very intrigued. And they do an awesome job. I don't think it will ever replace a dog. I think they can work together. Um, but if, if you're using a dog and you're pushing through the woods, how many people have bumped their deer and never got to yeah. it? Yeah. They're they're going they're making noise they're disturbing wildlife a drone you fly it over you can do it without disturbing a single thing you can find the deer see that it's wounded and back out and and there's certain you can do like um if you wanted to make regulations where like only the drone pilot can actively watch and then relay the information back then that pilot doesn't have to tell the person that shot the deer hey there's other deer here there's other like that doesn't right. have to be you know, a part of the equation. Right. And there how high are those limitations things there? How high are those things flying? Like how, how, what is your effective range with like thermal imaging and everything else? Yeah, we can fly. So commercially you can fly up to 400 foot, but that 400 foot could be above obstacles too. So if you have like trees that are a hundred foot, now your limit's 500 foot. Yeah. And drones kind of to your point too, a drone I mean, I'm sure at three, four, five hundred feet, that deer's not hearing anything to make them. That's a that's a great point you bring up. Is a drone versus a dog? Is you're leaving everything pretty much completely undisturbed. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and they might hear it. You know, it it does make a noise, but it's like a real consistent kind of buzzy noise, and it doesn't yeah. seem to affect wildlife. Like I said, I I like the I like the the analogy of it being like gun control, because um, mm-hmm. I like I said prior prior to this, like if it's 
I've always said this. If it's legal, go ahead and do it. I don't care. If you if you can legally do it, go ahead. But I had some moral issues with like, but if you're finding every deer, but again, I I didn't think about how that can be structured with a pilot. Right. The technology exists. So as we speak, somebody can take the equipment out there and find a deer if they wanted to. Like, there's no stopping that, even if there's laws. So, you know, if we're just thinking about the deer recovery side of it, just make make some guidelines, make some restrictions, punish people that are doing it wrong. And this this could really help out people. This could be used yeah. for a lot of good. I, I think so, too. And what are... In comparison to, let's say, you you know, we've all heard the story. You track and track and track. You can't find it. People go to call a dog. Are the rates on those drones similar to what it would be to get a dog? Are they cheaper? Are they more expensive? Or is this a technology that, like, is going to be available to a majority of hunters if they needed it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in like uh, the states that it's legal, they they have maps like they do dogs, and you can call the drone pilot out. And I want to say, you know, drone recovery is a little more expensive, and I think it's because the equipment's expensive. Uh, it's it's more efficient equipment, um, so it's a little bit more expensive. But if you're paying five hundred dollars to recover a deer, you know, it's this has been talked about in other podcasts where they've talked about deer recovery. If you're already buying your camo, your gear, you're already spinning the gas to scout. You have your rangefinder, your binos, your food plots, your tree stands, your cameras. You're doing all of that to harvest a deer. So once you shoot that deer, why would you not spend the five, six, seven hundred dollars if that's what it takes to recover your deer? You've just spent yeah. mo- most of the time people have spent significantly more than that. So it's just it's one of those things. What does it mean to you to recover that deer? Yeah, I think that's a good point because I, I feel like even guys who are n- people who I I wouldn't call, let's just say bad hunters, might hear five hundred dollars, six hundred dollars, and think to themselves that's not worth it. But when you put it in that perspective of like that five or six hundred dollars to go find that deer that you just decided to kill. On top of, yeah, you've got, especially if you get into food plots and if you get into like the fancy camo and, you know, bows, I mean, you're thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. into this and you're going to cheap out after you killed the thing because you just don't want to find it. Like, I think that's one one thing that as a newer, as a newer guy, and I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to have to give up the newer guy thing pretty soon. I'm going, I mean, it's been four years, but... (laughs) <laughs> One perspective I've noticed uh, is it seems like people are willing to do everything under the sun before they kill a deer. They're willing to shell out however much money it is until that deer has been shot. And then it's, well, a dog's expensive, a drone's expensive. Uh, even down to broadheads, the choice of what you are, you know, the the one thing that is going to go through that deer, and that's a conversation for another day on mechanical fix, whatever. But people look at a, a three-pack of broadheads that are anywhere between $75 and $125, and they say, well, that's way too much. And they go and they buy a $30 thing. And it's like, 
another thing with me, this isn't money related, but people who you harvest a deer and then you go drop it off at a locker. It seems like everyone wants to be a part of it until it's shot. And then they, it's hands off. It's that's not worth the money. And that's one perspective I've noticed is that that kind of bothers me is like the after the aftercare of a hunt, people are much less passionate about than everything leading up to it. Like I said, and that's not everybody. That's not. So if you're a guy who does everything under their, in their power, like good on you, keep doing it. But if you are somebody who's thought like, if I, if I shoot a deer and I lose it, I'm going to look for it. And if I don't find it within two hours, I'm out. Yeah. My opinion, maybe you should rethink whether you should be in the woods hunting. (laughs) If you're not willing to give that deer all of the time and money and resources it takes to recover that thing, I don't know that you're necessarily deserving to take its life. Just my opinion. Yep. Great point. You spent all that time, effort, money, time away from your family. You just took that yeah. deer's life and you, you owe it to the deer to find it. Like exhaust all efforts and yeah. then, you know, be respectful of it. Yep. You're yeah. exactly right. I agree. Now I'm sure I'm going to get from somebody and I don't know the answer to this, but I'm sure I'm going to get from somebody like, I totally agree with what you're saying, but I don't have $600 laying around to buy a drone. I don't know what the answer is at that point. I guess just keep going out to the woods and keep looking for birds flying around if it's been a few days. Right. You know, and for me, like, if they legalize it in Kansas and I told someone what my rate is and they like, hey, man, like, I just, I can't afford that. I'm willing to work with somebody. Like, I'll bring the price down, payments. Like, as passionate as I am about archery, it makes me sick to think about other people losing their animals, too. And I'm sure a lot of guys are like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I've I've heard of that with dogs before too, you know, where it's it's a it can seem expensive at first. In comparison to what you've already spent on hunting, it's not expensive, but as a, a one-time lump payment, it can seem like a little much, but again, it goes back to like when we were talking about even big companies in the hunting industry are not big companies in general. These guys that are doing these dogs, like they're not corporations, they're not like they're just dudes that hunt that are passionate about it and they want to help you find that deer. Yep. Not that everybody's going to say, Hey man, just make payments or, Hey, I'll, I'll help you out this time. But I'm, I'm guessing a majority would, if you're really stuck in a bad Mm -hmm. situation, most of those guys, like they, I'm guessing they want to find that deer for you. Yep. And one of my buddy, you know, he, he's a dog recovery and he, he just charges for his gas. And if you want to give him a tip, so yeah. if you're 30 miles away and he's got to do like an hour round trip and you give him a hundred, 200 bucks, you know, that's all it takes, which is great. So I'm glad yeah. you're going to have, you know, more than one option likely if they legalize yeah. drone recovery. Well, Hey man, um, I was going to kind of, I was going to kind of get into 3d archery a little bit, but I've already got you if for you an hour and bit, 15. Do you have a little bit of time? Cause I uh, love yeah. 3d archery. Yeah. Okay. So the one thing, you know, tax coming up, the big registrations are coming up. So everyone's, you know, getting fired up about that. You got mountain archery fest, and then you've got just local 3d events. Um, I've talked to a couple people throughout this past year who have expressed like, that looks fun. I'd like to do it, but 
for some reason they just, I don't know if they're intimidated of doing it or I don't know what keeps people from making that like an off season practice. But um, I guess what are some of the benefits that you have seen, especially for newer guys uh, from 3d archery? Oh man, it's, Wow, at first, and I was one of those people that only wanted to hunt, and I was kind of intimidated, um, but it's humbling. You think you're a good <laughs> shot until you go to yeah. 3D shoots, um, but it really it really helps you understand your equipment, and you're around other people that tinker, so they catch things in your form. You know, you're around guys that shoot a lot, so you find like-minded people, you meet a lot of good people, they help you out with your equipment. I learned a lot about like, you know, how let off affects. You you just it keeps you sharp year round. It teaches you about your equipment and there's just there's a lot there there's a lot of benefit to it. And like I said, it's very humbling. Uh we we did a lot of the R100s, a lot of the tacks. If you guys are scared yeah. to go because of distance, like you're you don't have to shoot from that stake. You can sc- scoot up as close as you w- you want to, but just the camaraderie of being around friends and getting that practice in it it really helps you become a better beca- better archer, a better aim, a better hunter. And I think that ties back into kind of the idea of like doing everything you can for that animal. I mean, what the hell else you got going on? You can still go bass fishing. Uh, you can still do whatever you like, but these events like how often do you shoot your bow past your hunting distance? And, you know, one of the things that I love the most about it, and it goes into the camaraderie thing, it's really, really, really difficult to replicate adrenaline um, when you're shooting your bow. When you're at home or when you're at, like, just a normal target, uh, target range and you're just chill with your friends, you know, you can, when you're shooting, you're pretty calm. Uh, on a 3D range, for whatever reason, at least with me, I'm I'm nervous the whole time. It's like not a bad nervous, but like mm-hmm. you're already like shooting in front of people. But then if you're with the right group of guys who are giving you friendly crap talk, like that type of stuff, that's one of the closer things that I've found to, again, replicate shooting under stress. Because I'll be mm-hmm. honest, I'm not that guy. Maybe I'll be that guy at the end of the 75 hard thing where I'm like, I'm going to go do 100 burpees and then shoot my bow for a workout. I'm not doing that right now. So the closest thing I can get to yep. like replicating some sort of shooting under pressure situation, um, 3D archery has filled that gap for me pretty well. Oh, yeah. It's one of those like, you know, still sharpened still scenarios because I had a buddy of mine and when I first started shooting 3D, he would just whoop me every time. And it just encouraged me to practice more. And it's like, you know, being around that and being exposed to how he shoots made me want to become a better shot. And I would practice more and it became a goal of mine, like a competition. And just having that friendly competition made me want to beat him so bad that I practiced so much. And then, (laughs) you know, a year or two later, I did. There's times I did, you know, give him a run for his money or beat him. So, yeah. And then, you know, real quick while I'm thinking of it, you know, speaking of like, you know, the tax and the mountain archery. Have you ever heard of shot before? It's called, it's called shot, shot, the shot 3d experience. And last year they did their first ever location and it's real similar to like attack. And this year they're doing four in Oklahoma and one in Arizona. And these are like the greatest group of people. They're just real close friends and they, 
they're working their butts off. They're putting in a lot of time, a lot of work. You know, shout out to those guys. But uh, anyone listening, if you're yeah. in the Oklahoma area and you want to do something like TAC, check out SHOT. It's it's a blast. We sponsored one of the courses last year. We're helping it sponsor the event this year. But great group of guys. They're they're working so hard to do this, and I think you're gonna you're gonna see them expand even further into the future. So, well. Not that I would deter anyone from tech, but let's be honest, 80% of you guys listening who are going to try to register for Oklahoma, you're not getting in anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> check this event out. Help, you know? Yep. But yeah, no, I I, I think they're, uh, I would like to see, uh, as, like I said, as much as I love Total Archery Challenge, because that was kind of my first taste of a big 3D archery event, and I do enjoy them. And I've had Sean on the podcast and I've talked to him and he's a great dude. Um, I do, I do wish like, it seems like people are starting to push more of like, you do have your R100s, your mountain archery fest, the shot, like you're saying different ones. Um, I'd like to see a more broad support for other, other uh, 3d events as well, because they're all, they're all going to be great events and you're all, you're going to get like, I guess what the point I'm getting at is a lot of guys will try to get into attack. They won't get registration and then they don't go shoot anything. And it's, it's like, you have so many, so many great options out there and you're leaving so many benefits on the table. So don't be afraid to support other events. Even if they're smaller local ones, you're still going to get, you're still going to get all these benefits. Like I said, or like you said, just the the push to practice more, the push to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're you know when you're practicing sixty plus yards all the time, when you're hunting that deer and it comes in at twenty, like that's automatic at that point. And so, yeah, yeah I would recommend if you if you're new and you're intimidated by the three D event thing, or I mean, I'm sure you've seen it too. Well, I just don't have anybody to go with. There's anybody will come. You can shoot with anybody. So, and if you just show up by yourself, the art, as you guys know, the archery community is so welcoming. Uh-huh. And I don't know anyone that wouldn't let you. We go to local shoots all the time, and if we see someone shooting by themselves, we make it a point to invite them into our group. Yeah. So, and then, you know, it just reminded me of a story. I I was at a shoot one time, and I got paired with a guy I didn't know. Um, and he was shooting fairly decent, but I noticed when he drew his bow back, his bow was so out of time. Like this, his bottom stop would hit and there'd be like an inch gap at the top. And I told him, I'm like, I let him shoot. And I'm like, Hey man, like I noticed, like you need to get that checked. And it got in his, I feel horrible because after <laughs> I told him that his bow was off, it got in his head he fell and he apart. started, you know, kind of, he <laughs> fell apart after that. So I feel bad. So anytime I notice stuff like that now. I'll wait until after, and then I'll give that friendly advice. It's yeah. easy to get inside people's head during 3D shoots. Oh my gosh, dude! I last year we I was shooting. Uh, gosh, which one? It would have been Tac Tennessee, and I went with uh, my friend mm-hmm. Austin from Just One, and uh, him and I. The sec- I don't remember which course it was, but we decided like we are gonna we're gonna shoot off on this one. We're gonna do the entire course, me versus you. And it was going back and forth. We were even. I was up one. Even. He's up one. And he had one, I think it was, uh, we were both shooting really, like, we were both shooting better than what we should. 
And uh, I think it was us, you know, rising to a level of competition and really focusing. But he had the one with the hanging bat and he botched the first shot. And dude, Austin, I'm sorry, but he crumbled (laughs) after that. His next like five times, you could, it was, it was so, it was sad to see because you could just see his face and his just demeanor, like just degrading by every step he took to the next target. Mm-hmm. But then a cool thing was after like a handful of targets, he made one really great shot and instantly popped him out of it. And he was oh, right yeah. back in the game. Yep. I've but, seen that happen a lot. But it is funny how, like if you ever question how mental is archery, how much of how much of archery is a mental game, that shows you right there. Like I would I would venture to to say it's a, a, a quite a bit more of a mental game than it is a physical skill. Yeah, it's so much of a mental game that we talk about like you know joking around with our friends and stuff. But my buddies, like if they're shooting real good, I. On the next shot, I'm like, man, something didn't sound right. Or I saw your arrow <laughs> kind of do like a, <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll make some some uh, not so friendly comments like that just to try to get in their head. Just we we just yeah. have so much fun with it. Yeah, that's one thing. Does the tail of your arrow always spin around like that? <laughs> that's all it takes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Sometimes now, it is. Back they, to they Austin, catch on to it though. The port. Yeah. Oh yeah. Austin, I shouldn't go too hard on him though cuz I mean he that was a that was an event. His his bow, his limb snapped on him on the pri- the course oh, no. prior. And uh so he ended up borrowing a bow and the dude's arrows. And the dude, I'm not going to mention the company. You can go back and look if you want to, guys, but the company was like, "Oh, shoot. Like we're taking care of you for sure." And the dude gave him his personal bow and all of his arrows and was like, go shoot, have fun the rest of the time. So I can't imagine the just the pressure and anxiety of like you have someone else's like full carbon, brand new, um, you know, top of the this is this is the bow they're putting out this year. And he's got really nice arrows. And I just remember watching that one sail past that bat. And I'm thinking like <laughs> when you <laughs> When you go back to this dude who gave you 12 arrows and you take him back five and these are expensive arrows too. I was like, I I can't Mm -hmm. imagine (laughs) the pressure he was in. So I tried to just shut up and let him not, not egg it on any worse, but that's funny. Well, Hey man, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Um, so go ahead and, uh, anybody who's interested in getting an unbound archery string or whatever it is, um, and I do recommend them guys. I've shot mine for a long time. I'm really, really happy with it. Um, so let everybody know where they can find you on social media, on the internet, where they can pick up a set of strings for themselves. Yep. Unbound Archery on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to order unboundarchery.com. And if you just want to send uh, email and ask questions, or if you need help with the ordering process, unboundarchery at gmail.com. All right. Awesome. So guys, make sure you go and give him a follow. Go check out what he's got to offer. Cause again, I, I'm never one to tell you guys to go buy something that I haven't tried and that I don't love. So I'm not BSing you. I'm not an unbound archery influencer. Um, although I could be, I mean, we can work this out, (laughs) but no, seriously, check them out. You will, you will absolutely love it. 
And make sure you're following us too. We're at Antler Feather Co. on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all those good things. Again, I say it every week, not TikTok, never TikTok, America first. But if you found something interesting in this podcast, if you got a new piece of information you can put in your quiver and take into the woods with you, I ask one thing of you, please share the show. Um, When we share the show, we can keep getting great guests on. We can keep learning together and ultimately That is going to make us more deadly in the woods. So for Nick, for Vince, this is New Hunter Podcast.